In 2015, the people of Ireland gripped the tricolour in one fist and a rainbow flag in the other. Then, arm in arm, together, we charged at a wall which had stood in the path of joy for our brothers and sisters. The wall was built by those who placed fear in the minds of our fathers, stole the freedoms of our mothers, and banished those they deemed sinful into the shadows. The wall existed to stop people being who they longed to be, who they really were. Before we finally took it down, we had leaders who chipped away at the wall. Some taking larger chunks than others. But for those who lived before this point, they required others to help them be who they felt they were, without question. This is one of those stories. In 1843, two years before the horrors of hunger returned to Ireland, a child was born. Her name was Jenny Hodgers. Jenny was born in the small fishing village of Clotherhead in County Louth. Jenny was not born into wealth, good fortune or opportunity. Her parents, Sally and Patrick, did their bit to try and make a home for their child. But their efforts were no match for what was to come. As Jenny turned two years old, Ireland was gripped by the evils of greed. As the potato crop failed and food was exported from the island in order to keep the empire happy, Jenny and many like her went malnourished. The children of this generation grew up smaller than their parents and grandparents. The once tall and broad people of Ireland were now feeble and weak. On average, the children of Ireland were about one foot shorter than their parents' generation after the famine passed. Jenny, unlike her father, survived through the years of the Great Hunger. When she reached the age of 16, Ireland had little to offer its children by way of hope. Instead, the children of Ireland looked to America, Australia and Britain for opportunity. Jenny and her mother concocted a plan to get off the island and seek hope. They snuck themselves onto a ship from Dublin which stopped in Liverpool. Once at Liverpool, they joined the other Irish hidden on the great ships heading for America.
with just enough food to keep them going until they reached the other side and whatever they could fit in their pockets they set off. After a long and difficult time at sea, the boat eventually stopped in New York, where the Irish stowaways snuck off and blended into the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. In New York, they were to meet an uncle of Jenny's who had left Ireland in the famine years in the hope of survival. He had set up a home for himself in Belvedere, Illinois, and invited his niece and her mother to join him. He did, however, have one condition. As she passed through immigration, Jenny was told to register herself as a boy. Her uncle was convinced that if she had the paperwork of a boy, she would have a better opportunity of getting work in the new world. Jenny did what she was told and gave herself the name Albert Cashier. Her uncle was right in his assumptions and when Jenny settled in Belvedere she worked as a labourer, farmhand and shepherd. Sadly for Jenny, within three years of settling into her new home and disguised as a boy, her mother left the world. Presumably a result of the after effects of starvation. In the year before her mother's death, America itself had spun into turmoil. The civil war had begun and soldiers were being sought to replace those lost in battle. Jenny watched on as young man after young man left her new home never to return. In the Battle of Pittsburgh Landing, most of the young men from her town were killed without mercy. As the war raged on, Abraham Lincoln put out a call seeking 300,000 more men to join the Union Army. Such was the high rate of casualties. Jenny, with little left in the world, dressed herself as a man and walked to the enlisting office in Belvedere. Here she once again used the name Albert Cashier. Unable to read or write, however, Jenny signed her name with just an X. Now, as Albert, he went largely unnoticed for his small size in the army. He passed his physical checks without issue. Albert stood at just 5 feet 3 inches tall. Most of the other Irish in the Union Army were also the children of famine survivors and were also small in size. 
Albert was known by the other soldiers to be a very friendly man who was very private. He often sought privacy to wash himself or when going to the bathroom. Being a likeable fellow, his fellow soldiers often obliged and did not question the motivations. Albert was recognised as one of the boys and his peers did not mind. He was shy, he was one of them, a brother in arms. Albert often wrote letters to a trusted friend in Illinois who sent letters back asking if he had the money yet to buy a dress for his sweetheart. All part of the disguise. When Albert was taken from the comforts of camps to the front lines of war, he was instantly recognised as a very brave soldier. He had a real ability to manage a gun. He rarely wasted a bullet and other soldiers often fought to be by his side, such was the protection his accuracy could give them. It was as a result of his abilities as a soldier and his bravery that Albert was selected regularly for difficult missions. He was chosen to undertake a number of reconnaissance missions. It was nearly a year into his time at war when one of these missions nearly ended his war. Whilst fighting in the siege of Vicksburg, Albert was caught during a reconnaissance mission. He was tied by the hands, had a gun pointed at his head and he was marched towards a prisoner camp. During his march to imprisonment, Albert somehow managed to knock the gun out of his captor's hand and kick him to death. He then set off on foot with his hands tied behind his back while being shot at. Being chased on foot for several kilometres and while being shot at, Albert never tired. He just kept on running without fear. As those chasing him began to tire, Albert spotted the Union Army's lines and he shouted to them for help. As he did, the entire unit ran to their brother's side, shooting down those in pursuit. Soon after this event, Albert contracted chronic diarrhea and was sent to a military hospital. Here his secret somehow went unnoticed. When he recovered, Albert returned to the front lines of the war.
He fought at Red River and the Battle of Bryce's Crossroads, which was one of the bloodiest engagements of the war. Under the incredibly hot sun, which did not relent, Albert and his comrades fought to push back the Confederate pressure. Albert again was noted as being one of the bravest on the battlefield, as not even his blistering skin would cause him to shy from the battle. Throughout the war, Albert fought in over 40 battles and travelled over 9,000 miles. Never shying from the fight. When the war finally came to an end, Albert was often spoken about by his peers as one of the bravest men they had ever seen. The stories of his bravery became legend. Having spent nearly four years at war, there was plenty of stories about Albert to be told. One story which was never told, however, was the one about who he was born as. Although to Albert, this was not as relevant as others may believe it to have been. After the war, the person born as Jenny continued to live as Albert. Having not suffered any major injury, nobody knew he was born as a woman. In 1869, he moved to Salmon, Illinois. Here he worked as a farmhand and picked up a few odd jobs around the town. He lived here with his employer and his family. For 16 years, he lived with the Chesboro family. After this, they built Albert a small house as a reward for his years of hard work and service. Albert set real roots here. He worked as a church janitor, cleaning the cemeteries and lighting street lamps. He even voted in elections at a time when the sex he was born to did not have the right to vote. In 1899, Albert was entitled to a war veteran's pension. He did not claim it until 1907 as a physical exam was required which would have uncovered his secret. It seems that he may have managed to convince the examiner to keep his secret when he eventually got the pension. Well liked around the town, Albert was often invited into the homes of friends for evening meals. It was in the Lannan family home where Albert became ill. 
While treating him, they discovered his secret. They too carried it with them. In 1910, Albert was working for State Senator Ira Lish picking up stones in his driveway. The senator, in a rush to a meeting, was quickly reversing down the drive without looking. As the car approached the gates, the senator did not notice the small Albert looking the other way. The car struck Albert and sent him under the wheel. Albert lay on the ground with his upper leg shattered near his pelvis. The senator went to help him but Albert pleaded to be left alone. The senator assumed Albert was in shock and called the doctor. Albert again pleaded to be left alone but was brought to hospital. He fought and begged for them not to go at his leg. When his repeated requests were denied and Albert's trousers were cut open to get at his leg, his secret was discovered. The senator and the doctor, both friends of Albert, stood shocked and confused. Albert cried. Have you voted, Albert? asked the senator. Yes, sir, and I claim the pension, replied the defeated Albert. The senator and the doctor discussed what they should do next. Having voted and claimed a man's pension, Albert would be prosecuted for electoral fraud as well as financial fraud. The discussion did not last long. They too decided to carry Albert's secret. The following year it became clear to his friends that after the car accident Albert was not fully capable of looking after himself. His mind had also begun to fade. He was moved to the Sonman home for former soldiers and sailors. While some of the staff knew his secret, they did not speak a word of it, due to the respect they all had for Albert. By 1913, Albert's mind had betrayed him as it began to be consumed by dementia. In order to receive the care for this, Albert was sent to a state hospital for the insane. In order for the move to be facilitated, a court hearing was required. 
As part of this, a full physical examination was carried out. In the courtroom, Albert's secret was announced. The press heard of it and ran with the story. The story reached the US government, who then charged Albert with defrauding the state for a pension. This story also reached the press. And as the story spread throughout America, those who Albert fought beside in the war came to his aid. They protested and demanded that Albert not be charged for being who he wished to be. They also authenticated his record as a veteran of the Civil War. After their fight for their friend, Albert was awarded a veteran status and a pension for life. He was granted access to care in the hospital, but he was forced to wear a dress. It was the first time in about 50 years that he had had to do so. So unused to this now, and with dementia, Albert tripped on the corner of a dress and broke his hip. In 1915, Albert's life came to an end at the age of 72, having never fully recovered from the broken hip. Upon hearing of his death, once again Albert's friends and his former brothers-in-arms rose for him. As a result of their pressure, Albert was given a full military burial. He was buried with full military honours. He was placed in his coffin proudly in a full man's uniform. Today, Albert's headstone reads as follows. Albert D.J. Cashier Company G, 95, Illinois Infantry, Civil War Born Jenny Hodgers in Clotterhead, Ireland 1843-1915 The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan is Anam Dom, Gurav Mahakut, Slananish.